divorces are not always so pretty. Welcome to Mostly Grateful, the podcast where we talk about gratitude, but sometimes with a little bit of attitude. I'm Joel Zuckerman. I'm the author of the new book, Grateful, and I have an interesting guest today, as I always have. This is an old friend of mine named Brad Zola. I always refer to him as Zola Zola. It's my pleasure to welcome Brad Zola live from London. Oh, Zola, how are you, pal? I'm doing okay, my friend. It's been some time, hasn't it? <clears throat> Where's that English accent? I thought it would have crept in by now. My youngest son has it, and he kind of dazzles the girls with that, and especially when he goes back to America. <laughs> my, uh, my daughter, Isabel, kind of catches it a little bit also, and she goes back. All right, hang on, hang on. Brad and I met a long time ago, 35 years ago, when I went to work at the New York Mercantile Exchange which is an open outcry market where crude oil and heating oil are traded. It's in a building. The open outcry market no longer exists. The building it, uh, was housed at Four World Trade Center, a building that no longer exists in the shadow of the Twin Towers. We worked for a small company called John Tafaro, a company that no longer exists. But Brad and I have maintained our friendship for all these 35 years. And Brad is now for quite a bit of time, been based in London. Thank you, Joel. That was a very nice introduction. Appreciate that. Always been very fond of you. Elaine has always been fond of you. And before we get into your story, which is really the main reason why I wanted you to have a, uh, be a guest on the podcast, give us a sense. You've been in London for six years now, but you've been visiting for years prior to that. What is going on there with the pandemic? How, give us a sense of what it's like on the ground, day-to-day -day in the city, and uh, restrictions, well, and all of your day-to-day -day activity there. Sure, Joel. There's a, we're in another lockdown, which seems to be a little bit more serious this time with the new variants floating around in South Africa and Brazil, who they're, where they're trying to keep uh, those people out. And there's actually new talk about uh, quarantining them in hotels for 10 days when they arrive and that could be for all passengers coming into the uk shortly so they're trying to uh, nip it in the bud as they say and and life has changed uh, mostly for me because they close the golf courses it's a damn shame right you're outdoors and uh, you can enjoy the the good weather and and bad weather here in golf and but business has changed industries have changed people are a little frustrated i think all around the world as well and on edge i think it's just going to kill the economy of what's left of it and you know, wow. this is probably true with america too and and there i guess uh, america is quite open in regard to air travel and so on and so forth but well we're starting of, to really bear down here well one of the things i'm curious about is there a unified response because part of the problem is brad by the way is originally from new york and uh, has lived most of his life in the United States. His London sojourn is only a recent portion of his life. But as here, state by state, it's a patchwork. Open here, close there. Mask mandate here, no mask mandate there. Is the UK more unified in its entire approach? I think they're trying to be, Joel, but you still have the believers and non-believers of wearing masks and social distancing. Uh, the youth still going out and they get caught in these raves and big parties. It's tough for the young, for the youth and even for the elderly who can't see their families. It's, it's been quite, 
quite traumatic and traumatic for a lot of people. And uh, unfortunately, I've known a few people that have uh, passed away from COVID and a few of my mates that are also similar age that have had some trouble recovering from it. So you do take it seriously. I also had COVID early on in, in March and lost my uh, sense of taste and smell, which I'm still struggling to get back. You had it back in March? Yes. Wow. And here we are in, oh my God. So it's been 10 months and you don't have full. I did recover quite well. And then again, I, I had a slight fever, but I thought I was possibly infected again. I got tested, but I did not. But I ended up having the similar symptoms where I ended up losing my sense of uh, taste and smell again. So I'm on the recovery from about three months now. Wow. It's been so long since we've spoken, and I had no idea about this. We've been in contact very sporadically over the years, but you and I have had a lot of adventures together starting back in 1986, and things were going along very swimmingly for you for many years, and I, again... Until you tried to approach Andre the Giant. Everything was going very smoothly until we were in, up in Canada. Right. And, well, that's you insisted on one more picture, and he said no more pictures. I'll tell you what, I'm going to try and get one of Andre the Giant's children on the on the podcast sometime soon and recount that story. But further down the road, but anyway, I want yeah. to talk about. Let me expatiate a little bit further about you and all your all your moves. Most of them very successful. So let me brag about my friend Brad Zola Zola for just a little bit. He and I met on the trading floor back in 1986, 35 years ago. And while my career on the floor was only three or four years, five years, Brad was there for quite a while, became a trader, a successful trader, became a entrepreneur and made a number of very astute moves, both business-wise, real estate-wise in New York. Brad, I should further add, eventually became domiciled at least part-time in Miami And he was very generous with Elaine and I because we had a daughter at the University of Miami. And we went down to see her probably seven or eight times during the course of her four years. And Brad would always open up his really incredible 40th, what floor was that? 40th, 44? 45th floor, yeah. 45th floor, elegant, modern, sleek Miami condominium with a huge view of Biscayne Bay. And Brad would be with us occasionally, but most of the time he was not there. And he was just giving us (laughs) the free run of his apartment. So I'm glad you got to enjoy the the sunrises and sunsets there. It was fantastic. And I appreciate everything that I appreciate everything we've done together over the years. And I appreciate the invitation to your wedding to Tina. So you and I met in 1986. So I'm going to extrapolate that you and Tina were married in about 1988? 91, as it turned out. No, 91? Yeah, we were married in 91. Oh. But we were together. I met her at university in, in 85. And, and then we were on and off again for a few years after graduation and traveling and so on and so forth, finding our careers. And then we couldn't live without each other. 91, I slipped a ring. Tina has roots in Miami. So after a long time in New York City and Brad had done quite well, they decided to relocate with their three children. Pick up the story for us, Brad. I was ready for a life change. We had lived through 9-11 and lost quite a bunch of friends that day. And, and New York wasn't quite the same for me after that. So 
in 06 or 07, I was able to sell most of my business and, and finally meet up with Athena's expectations of trying to get to Miami and, and be closer to her family, which we had talked about for many years. And this could finally come to fruition, which was uh, a welcome change for me. Her dad passed away in 02. And I think that was quite a lasting traumatic impact on Tina and uh, what transpired with her afterwards in hindsight. But we'll get back to that. Yeah, the apartment we loved, we wanted to keep into the in the family and and this was a, a welcome change for kind of all of us. We got when put the kids into school down there in Miami, a private school. We went the summer before to acclimate them in the same school in a summer camp. And we were getting on with life in Miami. And kids at that point were grade school age. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, I had a my youngest was uh, 5 or 6. And then nine and 10. Say. Okay. You're down there more often than your wife, who's still up in New York working, correct? Yes. She was uh, still involved with her job. She was in interior design and really had a few projects that she needed to settle and close out before she made the move. So we went down together in the summer and then she was back and forth until school started. And then, and then there was uh this is where the turn I got slammed over the head with divorce papers. She, she had become disgruntled about leaving New York and wanted to get back to New York and pulled the kids out of the school after we just got these kids into a private school with the help of her sisters and trying to make a life for us all and being closer to her and her family. Right, let me, you went to a lot of expense and effort and energy to move to her hometown she was all for it and she was if i recall what you said it was her impetus over the years after 9-11 let's get out of new york and move back to miami where the quality of life is going to be better you agreed you got your affairs in order moved down put the kids in private school and tina at some point decided to pull the rug out and say no i don't want to be in miami and i want to get a divorce Yeah, there were a few extenuating circumstances prior to that. She was in the city at the time, back and forth, and she had developed adult acne. And she was on Accutane, this doctor put her on. And in 08, or just around that time, she I detected a, a change in demeanor and she just wasn't herself. And I noticed it and I said something to her. I said something to her mother, I said something to her sisters, her family, friends. I was generally concerned about her well-being in that, in that sense and her, her decision-making. Let me, let so me interrupt you. She was me, be- as someone who has porcelain skin, I'm unfamiliar with Accutane. Is this something that causes psychological side effects? As it turns out, Accutane does turn out to have side effects, which can lead to suicidal thoughts, depression rashes, inflammation of the bowel, and there were very specific side effects, which I thought were, were edging into Tina's life. And, and I brought this to her attention, to, the, to her doctor's attention. And she said, this is on the low dose. It shouldn't be that much of a problem. And she just continued to take it. So I think as she spent more and more time alone and maybe influenced 
improperly with her family not being supportive of her move down because she was having second thoughts of being in New York. There wasn't the support system that that I was hoping for in seeing her through that that time. Let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. You're saying her family was not supportive of the move down to Miami. I, I didn't understand exactly what you just said. Yes, the they were initially gung ho about us moving down. And once Tina had second thoughts about it, even once we were down there and in school, she started having second thoughts about it. And there wasn't the backing up that which you would expect a family to give in regard to, oh, it's going to be great. Come on down to Miami. Don't worry about it. And they fed into her fears and, and whatever else was going on in her mind at that time and convinced her to take action because I wouldn't move back to, to New York at the time. I, we just put our kids in this school. You moved down. You bought your father-in-law's apartment, bought out your two sister-in-law's got everything settled in Miami. And then Tina digs in her heels and says, no, I don't want to move to my hometown. And her family agreed with her. This is a family where I used to play, play golf with her mother regularly every Christmas since 1985, 86. They shut me out completely. I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. And my family was up in New York. I could have fought to keep my kids and family down in Miami or she wanted to have the, the kids brought back up to New York. And this so, is what, within what, six months of moving down there? Within six months of moving down there. That's correct. They were in school for a half of a year there. Okay. And then I had to sign an agreement stating that I would bring them back up to New York. And the case with their, our divorce case would be held in, in New York. And I, I thought that would be best because if my marriage is actually over with, then... New York is for me, not Florida. Right. No, Brad, I'm not moving down to Miami. And by the way, I want a divorce. Yeah, I, we had ups and downs in our marriage. I'm not going to be dishonest with you, but it was mostly good. So I was, uh, I was quite aware of her changed demeanor, which I associate to this, this medication. And it turns out that she ended up having long-term complications with autoimmune issues and so on and so forth later on in her life. I remember you and I hanging out in Miami some years ago and you could not get divorced. There was just so much complication. Give us a, a sense of this thing went on for years. Yes, we were back in New York in 09 and I didn't get finally divorced until 2013. So from 08, 09, when the action started, it was a good five years of torture and legal fees. And, and part of this was, Tina, you made did very well for yourself. Tina came from some wealth of some sort, art. Or, it's just funny, the bits and pieces that come back to me. Artwork yeah, in she, her family, and she would never disclose. There was never a full disclosure about her assets. Tell, tell me if I'm on the right track. Yeah, you are on the right track. That actually continued to be the case. The assets which I knew existed were never disclosed during my divorce. There was, it was long and drawn out. And I guess there was some apprehension in regard to finding out about this, these assets, because it was passed on through her father's trust not so far ago to to the sisters individually. My 
my father-in-law was an art collector and was actually friends with Ansel Adams and was trained by him and uh, has a nice collection of prints by Ansel Adams and a few other artists along the way. And he was a very interesting man. He was a hand surgeon, her dad, and loved to come up to New York. We often went up to the galleries and different artists' homes throughout New York and, and sometimes even in Miami when we were down there. So bottom line is you literally took you four or five years to get divorced and it was just a legal quagmire, a financial drain. The whole thing was never cut and dried, which is interesting because she was the one who wanted the divorce, yet you could not cut the cord. Yeah, it was very difficult. She made, we had a custody issue. We had a clear agreement of having the kids every other week. We both were, she moved to the west side of New York. I was on the east side and we would have the kids every other week. And then some issues would come around that. So there was always this uh, fear that I would maybe take these kids away from her, I think. During this whole time, when you put the kids in Miami and then took them out, they're back in New York within six months or a year, and they're bouncing back and forth between the east and west side. Are they siding with you? Are they siding with Tina? Is it conflicted for the kids? How were the children making The kids out? actually were quite, unfortunately, you can hear things on the other end of the phone and divorces are not always so pretty. And I was very aware of making sure not to speak about a relationship or problems with the divorce case or anything in front of the kids. But this didn't happen in her house, unfortunately. I do realize that my kids were wounded, as old divorced kids are, and maybe a little bit expo more exposed than I had known. And basically, um, Tina calling you a bad guy is the bottom line. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, she thinks of, she thought of me as a bad guy. I think she just wanted to move on in her life and had a midlife crisis along with what I perceive to be this issue with this drug, which will never be proved. And I get it that people have a heart or a midlife crisis and want to move on. And I think that's what she felt. She wasn't ready to continue our relationship anymore. And I accepted that after a period of time. It was very difficult for me the first six months of uh, finding out that was getting divorced and having your family shattered is, is pretty drastic. And she, I don't know if she became paranoid, but I know she became unhealthy. And, and unfortunately, she developed a rare autoimmune disease called Bichette's. And this was uh, inflammation of various arteries and she just didn't do well. She died in her sleep suddenly, August of 2013. I know this story tangentially, we've talked about it in bits and pieces. Hearing it now really for the first time ever, it's such a tragedy. She died suddenly in her sleep in 2013. I was actually dating my current wife now because we had been divorced uh, or, or in the process of getting divorced for quite some time, five or six years. So I had started dating and, and the whole, Tina was quite open to me dating and finding somebody else. I think she was able to see me move on more than herself. I think. Where were you when she died? I was actually on a, get, just about to get on a plane to California to meet my current wife. And your current wife, um, Leanne, is a yeah. Londoner. 
if I was in New York, ready to board the plane, I had just given the kids back for the week and I had a, a free week. My wife's son was involved in the Maccabea games in California over the summer. And we were planning on a, a week out there. So I was about to meet them out there. So tell me this. I should know this, but I forget. Where did you meet Leanne? Leanne is a Londoner, or I think she's... Leanne is a Londoner. She had a a good friend who had a friend in my youngest son's class at the Steiner School in New York. So she had been visiting her, and and we crossed paths. And I was friendly with this other English woman who had gone to... whose kid had been to school there. And we ended up going to a, a party together and really hitting it off. And she, you know, it was quite unusual. And she lost her husband and also had three children. She lost her can- her husband, I'm going to say, in 2008. Okay. Right about the time that your marriage started to hit the skids. Yeah. Yeah. He had cancer and all her kids were a bit younger than my kids when they passed. Some of the younger ones struggled to remember him. I think the eldest was 11 when he died. And his name, I know I've seen it on social media a hundred times. Alan Natty. Alan. Yeah. Alan was, he was quite a figure here in, in Northwest London. He really contributed to the football, the Lions football people's well-being around he, he kind of helped people get a, a jump start and this guy was before his time realizing some of the opportunities in real estate that he saw that other people didn't and how old was he when he passed away must have been pretty young yeah he was early 40s right. 41 or so. so leanne has three children you've got three children they're all similar aged you and her are kindred spirits. You guys are soulmates. Met her. You both come from these just devastating circumstances. What prompted yeah. the move to London? Because normally, needless to say, <laughs> the women, the woman often, I'm not going to say always, usually follows or folds themselves into the man's life. But you decided yeah. to relocate to London and tell us why. I was I always liked London. I had I hadn't been back since 1985 when I went to school here, and and could see myself living here again. The fact that my first wife passed away and I wouldn't be needing to bring the kids to the West Side every other week enabled me to move really and to just do, give just us do a what change. you want. Just like I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the script and do something totally. Yeah. I think New York uh, was was a good uh, place for us for many years, but I that was enough for me. I had enough, and and I think my kids would really benefit from the family life that Leanne has here in London. She has a very tight knit family, also, which I have from Long Island and now up in Connecticut. But her family, she has a sister around the corner, her mother's down the road, her brother's uh, half a mile away. It's there's a lot of community spirit and support here, but it's healthy in a way, but it's not healthy. And I saw more of an opportunity for better quality of life here in London with Anne and her family. And now your three and her three have bonded. Not now. I think it's been for years that the six of the kids are all in close cahoots. Am I correct? You're quite correct. Yes. Amazingly, you would think one would have a, a problem with at least one of the other ones. But 
the compassion and the appreciation, I think, for one another has really uh, shown through them. They, they, they look out for one another like no other. They've lost the parent, which is probably one of the hardest things in, in life. I couldn't think of losing a child. When you lose a parent, when they're old, okay, you can accept that. But a young parent who's full of life and vim and vigor, it's hard for these kids to, to, to move forward. What is amazing about Leanne and her work with, with psycho, psychologists and, and her therapy, and even Jody is now involved in, in helping people find joy in them. Jody is Leanne's oldest daughter? Jody is, uh, yeah, only daughter. She's the middle. And she is involved in a charity called Grief Encounter. And we do a lot of charity work together throughout the year, different events. And, but basically holding people's hands through bereavement. And unfortunately, our kids are, are experts in this. But Jody and Leanne have trained and have done a lot of work to, to not only understand deaths a little bit better, but helping people through it and the tough times that, that lie ahead for many. So it's such an incredible story of turning around what was such a rotten, awful, just tragic situation. And now you've built this incredible life with this wonderful woman. Are any of these kids engaged or have significant others? Two of them have significant others. I don't, I, not engaged, uh, nothing quite as serious as your kids. Right. So. <laughs> but it's, uh, we look forward to that time. We, we are looking forward to being grandparents. Or something. My goodness. But not My yet. goodness. Think about it. If we could, let's not push, let's not turn the clock any faster than it's turning. But just for the yeah. sake of argument, let's peer ahead to 2030. What the Zola Mady household is going to look like then, it's going to be complete cacophony. With uh, with six <laughs> six in law kids, at least four or five or six in law kids, and who knows how many grandchildren, and it is going to be it's going to be a circus uh, for you and your family, and it's going to be a joyful circus. Yeah, I'm looking forward well, to it. I'm looking forward. Well, Brad, to it. I know I don't even have to go to the title of my podcast. I know that you are mostly grateful for how everything has turned out after a number of very dark years. And maybe I shouldn't say mostly grateful. You're probably totally grateful. Listen, I, I, I got to be honest with you, Joel. I, 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 had, I had mostly good years and, and years full of light and happiness with, with Tina, and my, my first wife. And, and I think I look at it as a, a couple of years there where things went awry and bad and ugly. But we have to bounce back if we let these things keep us down forever and we won't get up. So there's uh, amazing opportunity with Leanne and her compassion for other people and for our family is just beyond what I could have imagined. And thankfully she's trained. She's a trained psychotherapist. It doesn't hurt. You talk about getting up off the canvas and I understand of course, that many of the years you were with Tina were happy. I, I found her to be charming an engaging woman. Of course, I didn't know her as well as you did, and no one knew her as well as you did. And I'm not talking about an extended period, but let's face it, there were years, a number of years when the whole uncertainty in Miami and then get whacked upside the head with a divorce and being unable to get divorced 
and then a sudden death. You and I talked about this. We talked about it at length more than once in Miami when I visited you. And that was a period of time. Yeah. It wasn't six months or 18 months. It was four or five years. You were, your head was spinning. Yes. Yes, it was. And uh, ne- Luckily, I have some good friends and family that supported me along the way. I think that was crucial. And you have to realize when you're down or when you're out and, and need some help. And I think early on, when I first found out about my divorce, which is my kind of life was shattered, that was the hardest part for me. And because I cherish family and I'm fortunate enough now to continue to cherish my well, family. Well, you have, you have good role models. Have, Your parents have been married for a zillion years. Yeah, 60 some odd years. My dad's still kicking 93 years God old. Bless him. Hey, man, I appreciate you coming. I'm mostly grateful. And I've always wanted to hear this story from soup to nuts. And the listeners to the podcast, if they stick with your story, are going to learn a lesson of how life comes down to being resilient and being able to bounce back from trauma. And your story is a tremendous illustration. I so appreciate you coming on. Pleasure being here, Joel.